You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and I have uh, Bruno von Wurtenhem, uh, a great scientist on the program today. And uh, welcome to the program, Bruno. Okay, it's a pleasure to be here. Hmm. Uh, Bruno, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, what uh, what you're working on. Yeah, I'm a uh, laser scientist at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Uh, and I have started to work in uh, lasers in uh, uh, 1992. That's actually when we started to build and design the National Ignition Facility. At, uh, at the laboratory, and that was a mega scale laser project that immediately drew my attention, having worked with lasers uh, as a student <laughs> and having worked in several institutes. This was the ultimate uh, project <laughs> and it was going to be, I mean, the uh, laser that was going to make inertial confinement fusion a reality. And that's what we started out to work on uh, in 1992. Uh, I've worked uh, with lasers since, I mean, almost since I was 10 o'clock, since I was 10 years old. Uh, My uh, grandfather was a professor in physics and I had a chance, I mean, to work, I mean, with a Heaney laser, you know, the little laser that uh, points the red beam. (laughs) Uh, and was used to do all kinds of experiments. And I've been working with increasingly powerful lasers. I mean, of course, as soon as I become a graduate student, started to work in my own laboratory, developing bigger and larger systems to even, I mean, use the power of lasers, I mean, for all kinds of physical phenomena. But nothing, I mean, was more interesting than the lasers at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. So in uh, 1991, I was actually at the Max Planck Institute for Biophysical Chemistry in Göttingen, Germany, mm-hmm. working on ultra short pulse, ultra high power lasers. And a, uh, a scientist from Lawrence Livermore <laughs> became uh, on a sabbatical, I mean, gave a talk about the lasers that were at that point in use as part of you know, confinement fusion effort. And he showed laser beams that were about 60 centimeters across. And once I saw that beam and that picture on the screen, I said, well, this is the place to be for lasers. I mean, there's just no place on earth. <laughs> One can do more fascinating, I mean, uh, applications using, I mean, the largest lasers that have ever been built in the world. And Let's... That's great stuff. And uh, well, it's been in the news that there has been a breakthrough as far as uh, nuclear fusion. And uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, Lawrence Livermore's and your work and, and how that relates to this breakthrough. And and where do you think this takes us next uh, on the uh, the road to harnessing nuclear fusion? Yeah, just as a background information, uh, Lawrence Livermore. It's a national uh, security laboratory. It's one of the three national security laboratories that is operated by the Department of Energy uh, next to the Los Alamos Laboratory, Sandia Laboratory. We, I mean, solve, I mean, hard national security issues. I mean, whether that's related to defense, intelligence, energy, 
and we I mean have scientists, engineers, and technicians that are developing and using the most advanced technologies, computer simulation, uh, laser tools, manufacturing techniques in order to solve a number of hard problems for nation, including, I mean, how to maintain the uh, safety, the liability, and the efficiency of our nuclear weapons stockpile when we basically stopped doing underground testing in the early 1990s. Mm. Uh, that was one of the major challenges that the laboratories have been uh, uh, working on is how can we do that? I mean, because it really requires a deep understanding of the physics. It requires, I mean, facilities that we can test our modeling on real high energy density problems in relevant conditions. So we have to build facilities that can actually test material in these conditions. And we have to educate and go, I mean, a workforce actually that can understand and learn how to deal with stockpile problems without actually ever having, I mean, used any device or having conducted any test. And still at the same time, being able to ensure and uh, testify for the president every year that the stockpile is going to be working as intended, even though we haven't tested any device in 30 years. So that's a fantastic challenge. And the National Ignition Facility is going to be the flagship facility for that stockpile uh, stewardship uh, program as a place where we can, I mean, test all kinds of relative conditions, relevant conditions for materials, for thermonuclear uh, phenomena that take place in the weapon and demonstrate both, I mean, the use of laser power, I mean, at an unprecedented scale uh, that we can basically, I mean, use this and validate, I mean, the simulations and challenge the physicists to develop experiments and conduct tests that help us, I mean, reach uh, the stockpile stewardship goals. And very recently, I mean, NIF has for the first time now demonstrated that it could indeed achieve ignition in the laboratory, which is a major, I mean, uh, step forward in stockpile stewardship. Uh, as I the ignition is an essential part of a, a nuclear weapon and being able to basically conduct and ignite the plasma in a controlled form in a laboratory while conducting measurements on it. I mean, it is an unprecedented event. And for the first time, we've been able to do that. I mean, not in the sun, not on a distant star, not in an uncontrolled weapon. But in a laboratory, I mean, inside the target chamber, I mean, using, I mean, a controlled scientific experiment. So this is extremely exciting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I recognize it's probably hard to predict how the next breakthrough or how and when it will come. But what do you see in terms of incremental gains or are there quantum leaps in this technology that uh, you think are, are possible? given uh, your study in this area for 30 or 40 years? So given the, uh, the breakthrough that we have made, which confirms that we are on the right track and that our understanding is, is really close. So uh, we were, I mean, basically still uh, in doubt 
that we may not have the physics complete, that we're missing significant phenomena, and that NIF and that the ignition actually was never even possible from the NIF that we need a facility that would need, I mean, have to deliver five times more energy or more. And the fact that we have demonstrated now that even with very small increase in energy, we can achieve the ignition. And even the fact that we have so much, many more uh, tools, improvements, and changes that we can apply to this process is that we are nowhere near the uh, end of what we can actually achieve on the National Ignition Facility. So uh, with improvements in the targets, with improvements in the laser delivery, with improvements in the, the whole arm, the little capsule that surrounds the fuel capsule, we can achieve uh, significant increases in the uh, output energy of the target or so-called the gain of the target, uh, which is the energy that is generated by fusion ignition relative to the energy that we put into the target. And so over the next few years, we expect a significant increase uh, of the gain and a significant increase of the robustness of the process mm -hmm. uh, so that we uh, not only, I mean, drive the process to significantly higher levels, but also at the same time, improve, I mean, or, uh, uh, or uh, precision of, of the modeling and our understanding of the physics. So I think we are really at, really at an exciting time here. We're nowhere at the limit of this facility. Uh, and the National Ignition Facility was gonna be an intermediate facility where we, I mean, use a large, a significant increase in laser energy over previous facilities, about a factor of 50, but not a factor of 100 or 200 as originally designed. And so this also enables us to start thinking not only about a really a high yield uh, facility for stockpile stewardship applications, but also it now starts to open the door to uh, using, I mean, ignition to, uh, pursue the generation of clean energy and start to think and launch an effort to uh, create inertial fusion energy. I mean, as a means to provide, I mean, clean, safe, carbon-free energy on the grid, I mean, in the, in the next few decades. Well, that's a pretty amazing development. And I guess the, the question that I have is where does it uh, go to next? And in terms of funding, uh, what kind of additional funding do you believe is necessary in order to give you the tools to take this to the next level and to the next level? And, uh, you know, how are how is Congress doing as far as funding the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories and, and what other kind of uh, adjacent facilities are necessary that support the laboratories and and who are your partners that you're working with uh, we're going to take a, a break right now and we're going to be right back in after the break and uh, get an answer from uh, Bruno von Wertenheim uh, who's a senior scientist at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories you're listening to a climate change this is Matt Mattern and we'll be right back in just one minute You're listening to A Climate Change. 
and this is Matt Mattern, your host. I've uh, got a great guest on the program, and uh, Bruno, we had just been speaking about uh, whether you have the funding and all of that to uh, take these breakthroughs to the next level. Uh, maybe you can respond to that quickly. Yes. Yeah, so the uh, support, I mean, to continue the uh, the pursuit and the increasing the robustness and gain of uh, fusion ignition on the National Ignition Facility is supported by the National Nuclear Security Administration as part of the Department of Energy. Uh, we receive, I mean, great support by Congress uh, and by the Department of Energy and NSSC in terms of, I mean, funding, I mean, our uh, operations, our researchers, and our uh, future extensions and sustaining the uh, facility into, into the next decade. Uh, so that part, of course, receive, receive increased, I mean, attention now that we have demonstrated ignition and that has already, uh, that is already showing. Uh, so there's this um, other effort that is being launched both by the White House and being supported by uh, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory and Department of Energy. Uh, which is an effort, I mean, to start uh, developing a collaboration between private industry and the national laboratories to work together, I mean, on developing, I mean, uh, uh, effort to investigate uh, and make possible the uh, pursuit of inertial fusion energy uh, in the next uh, decade or the next uh, few decades. Mm -hmm. That is a sig very significant effort that will require, I mean, both academia, the best engineering and mindsets in industry, and I mean, the scientific tools and knowledge in the laboratories to come together to work out an incredible set of challenges that is required to make inertial fusion energy a reality. And inertial fusion energy, you don't take one ignition event, but you try to repeat it 10 times per second using a very efficient system and uh, use that in order to, I mean, uh, harness the energy of the uh, fusion reactions and turn it into electricity, turn it into a base load power. <laughs> and that, I mean, has incredible, I mean, technological challenges. Uh, I don't think they're really impossible to resolve. All of them have, I mean, conceptual solutions, but there's a lot of details. There's a lot of material issues. And there's a lot of new technologies that has to be developed and will require the best minds in both industry and the government laboratory to come uh, together and work on all these problems. And it will quite likely, I mean, require multi-billion dollar investments over, I mean, many years in order to make it a reality. And we develop the technologies to your point that we can start to think about uh, developing, I mean, a, a prototype uh, fusion power, inertial fusion energy facility uh, that would be uh, used, I mean, to demonstrate really, I mean, uh, electricity generation, which is the big question. Well, in terms of, I know there's a lot of private companies out there that are working on, or maybe not a lot, but there are some private companies working on harnessing uh, nuclear fusion. 
and uh, wonder how closely they're working with uh, the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories. And are they able to get the technology from these breakthroughs? Are they licensed? Or do you do you give license to say American companies and or foreign companies to use the technology that you're developing there at the national laboratories? Uh, so most of the private companies at this point in time are working on uh, competing uh, technology called magnetic fusion, so using magnetic fields and electrical currents to contain and heat up uh, large volumes of plasma in a vacuum chamber. So it's quite a different technology than using lasers to drive and uh, compress a very tiny small amount of DP fuel and heat it to ignition. Uh, so we also have, I mean, a very small effort in magnetic fusion. Uh, some of our scientists uh, support it. And uh, we are working actually on developing a process to license some of the technology, share some of the tools, the modeling, the, uh, the physics codes, uh, testing capability, uh, material science problems that uh, we are uh, have, that we have been developing in uh, uh, the last 20 years in the laboratory in the area of inertial fusion energy and how to leverage those together with the private industry so there's a very i mean active uh, uh, effort that is currently being launched uh, both by the, uh, uh, the the department of energy in collaboration with with the laboratories and uh, several, I mean, private companies. So, so all that is happening actually in uh, in real time as we speak. So, in terms of uh, next steps on the on the frontier of uh, fusion, maybe you could walk our listeners through that, and, and maybe taking a step back, just describing nuclear fusion and what it is, and and uh, why it's so powerful and why it's so important. Yep. So. The beauty of uh, fusion or nuclear fusion as an energy source comes in the fact that it is uh, clean, <laughs> it is non-proliferating, it is safe. And what it basically does, it, it is, uh, replicates the energy source that drives uh, the universe. I mean, it is how stars, I mean, create their energy, it's how the sun creates our energy and how the sun creates life on earth. <laughs> And uh, stars use gravity basically as a means to compress matter and compress small nuclei and bring the nuclei so close together that they actually can overcome the repulsive forces. And once that happens, you can combine two nuclei, create a larger nucle nucleus. And in that process, uh, a little bit of mass is converted into energy. For example, we uh, use a deuterium and a tritium atom, both isotopes of hydrogen, to create a helium atom, which weighs a tiny little bit less than the sum of those deuterium and tritium atoms. And we use the Einstein equation, E equals mc squared, <laughs> to uh, convert that little bit of mass into energy with an extremely high efficiency. <laughs> So you can, I mean, use the uh, fusion reaction 
as opposed to the fission reaction as one of the uh, the most effective uh, means to create energy. Uh, lasers use uh, the, uh, basically what we call inertial confinement fusion, a process where we heat up a little uh, metal shell around the fuel capsule. That metal shell starts to generate copious amount of X-rays. That X-rays ablate the outer layer of the fuel capsule. The fuel capsule starts to accelerate inwards. In other words, we're starting to compress it. And we can accelerate that little fuel capsule to about a million miles per hour until it collapses onto itself and converts, I mean, a very small amount of fuel to extremely high pressures and densities where we can start fusion reactions. And then those fusion reactions will create enough energy to uh, fuse the fuel that we compressed and basically cause an ignition reaction to propagate through that cold fuel and lead to the energy gain that we've seen demonstrated here uh, last uh, December, December 5th. Uh, we used at that point in time, 2 million joules of laser energy and we created 3 million joules of uh, fusion neutrons in output. And it's an in incredible event because that compressed fuel capsule is about the size of a hair. And so we have a laser of the size of three football fields to generate 2 million joules. And then we have a tiny little, I mean, point the size of a hair that generates 3 million joules in a, I mean, a fraction of a billionth of a second, basically uh, 200 trillionths of a second. And that is really a demonstration of the awful, I mean, uh, power that uh, that fusion represents. And that's only for, I mean, a tiny little uh, compressed capsule for a tiny little amount of time. So our next step now is to demonstrate an increased gain. The gain from that shot was 1.5. So we created 50% more energy. And we really want, I mean, 10 times or 50 times more energy out of the capsule than the laser energy in order to compensate for the losses in the laser efficiency and whole process in order to make it an effective energy source. So we have quite a few challenges, but I think we are right now, I mean, on a, a, a track, I mean, to, to demonstrate that our current understanding, I mean, it's, it's close and close enough to help us guide, I mean, through not only, I mean, high yield applications, for stockpile stewardship signs or, uh, for energy applications and for uh, inertial fusion energy. Well, that's uh, pretty amazing. The science behind it is somewhat mind-boggling. Uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, your host. And I've got Bruno von Wertenham. Uh, Bruno, uh, we'll be right back with him after the break uh, to ask him a lot of questions about this fascinating technology, which could be the breakthrough that leads to clean and green energy uh, source throughout the planet, which would solve uh, really the whole climate crisis. So this is big stuff. So we'll be right back in just one minute.
And you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern. I've got Bruno von Wertenham, who's with Lawrence Livermore Laboratories. And uh, Bruno kind of wanted to go back to this issue of the technology that that kind of is behind the lasers that you were just talking about. And uh, I think you had said that uh, some of the lasers were two or three football fields uh, long or something. Uh, maybe you could describe that for the audience. So the National Ignition Facility uses 192 laser beams to uh, illuminate the target. And it needs to do that, I mean, with very demanding uh, requirements on the precision and accuracy of the delivery. Where do you deliver the energy? The balance between all the 200 different beams uh, exactly the way you want it so that you compress the target in a very uniform uh, fashion. So it's, it's an extremely, I mean, demanding requirement to not only run 192 laser beams on every shot, but do that with an unprecedented uh, uh, precision. And we were always, I mean, uh, requested that no matter how good we do it, we will physicists in the process will always demand, I mean, better, uh, accuracy, better precision of the power, uh, more energy, more power. And so we have been able to not only build the system uh, starting in 1997 with the groundbreaking facility, but it took us 10 years to put these lasers together. And we started to operate the uh, lasers and doing experiments in 2009. And it took us another uh, 13 years to improve the uh, delivery of the lasers to the target and improve the uh, technology, I mean, to produce the targets, to produce the capsules and to uh, deliver the energy in such a way that uh, the uh, implosion reaction or that the fuel was delivered in a very stable way and compressed to the exact uh, density, the exact temperature, the exact shape that is required in order to make this happen. And so this required over uh, 13 years of precision, I mean, engineering, precision science, modeling, and experiments. I mean, we have done several, almost 200 implosions uh, in order to, to get to the point where we really control it and understand the level that we now can uh, push from yields that originally started, I mean, a factor 4,000 lower than where we are right now to almost, I mean, a factor 10 from the limit of what we can safely uh, conduct on this facility. So that has been a tremendous evolution and a tremendous, I mean, uh, success story. I mean, not only for the science, the physics and the engineering on this type, I mean, of uh, cutting edge uh, facilities at the uh, National Laboratories. Well, tell us a little bit about, just uh, for us uh, lay people who don't know what uh, 400 joules of energy, what does that translate to kind of for uh, kind of a lay person? How much power really is that? Is that enough power to power a small city or is that, uh, how much power is that? Uh, megajoules itself is another huge amount of energy so like the same amount of energy i mean to boil i mean a kettle of water 
it's about the amount of energy. I mean, in, in a sports car, I mean, driving at about 120 miles per hour. <laughs> so it's a significant amount of energy, not a huge amount of energy. It's not the amount of energy that is going to power a city. Of course, that's why in order to create, I mean, a future power plant, you really need to have, I mean, 10 to 50 times more energy per implosion. And then instead of, I mean, conducting one of these shots in about uh, 24 hours, which is what the National Ignition Facility can achieve, we have to conduct, I mean, 10, 20 of those implosions per second and keep running it around the clock. So there is a significant amount of scaling that needs to be done, I mean, to turn the uh, energy into a single implosion, I mean, into real, I mean, uh, solid baseline power production. <laughs> so it's a relatively small beginning from that point of view. But on the other hand, in an absolute scale, I mean, for, I mean, uh, delivery of a laser, I mean, it, it's, I mean it's, it's an in incredible, I mean, amount of energy to achieve the uh, 3 million joules of neutron energy, I mean, from 2 million joules of laser energy, I mean, in uh, our progression of performance, uh, having worked on systems where we only uh, generated, I mean, tens of kilojoules originally of neutrons. So our progression and our uh, extrapolation, I mean, towards improved performance, I mean, is looking really good at this point in time. So I think we will see, I mean, significant improvements in gain in the next uh, few years. <laughs> and uh, we'll also, I mean, start to work then on the, the technology, I mean, to understand how to scale this, I mean, to not only, I mean, a very high yield facility, but also to do high yields at a very high repetition rate, <laughs> which is yet, I mean, another uh, development in technology that uh, one uh, needs to be looking at and uh, considering that i mean when the uh, uh, inertial confinement fusion was first proposed in 1970 at the laboratory uh, the idea was to use a one kilojoule laser instead of a two million joule laser to compress the target and achieve uh, fusion ignition and so over the last 50 years uh, the laboratory has built an an increasingly an increasing number of increasingly large laser facilities ranging from one kilojoules to five kilojoules, I mean 30 kilojoules, now to two million joules in if and who knows there may be a 10 megajoule facility somehow in our future. Uh, but this has been, I mean, an in incredible journey. I mean, that has required us, I mean, over uh, uh, 70 years. <laughs> Uh, of continuous development. I mean, basically, I mean, learning, I mean, having problems, having setbacks, making progress. But in the meantime, always on average, I mean, uh, uh, having, an, an, I mean, a good record in improving, I mean, not only our technology, but also our physics or simulation or understanding of the process and keep driving, I mean, towards success. And I think what we achieved in December is not. Uh, I would consider us, I mean, the uh, the holy grail of ICF, and finally having arriving at a position where we actually can meet the criteria that the National Academy of Sciences have put forward. 
namely exceeding the laser energy required to uh, generate the fusion energy. I mean, it's such, I mean, a, a testament, I mean, to the technology in our country that I think it's, it, it, it bodes well for all of us. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, con congratu congratulations to you and to your entire team for the great work that you've done uh, over decades to make this breakthrough possible, as you just kind of described how challenging that process has been and how you've stuck with it to continue to try and, and sometimes make mistakes, but continue to adapt and, and make changes to make it better. Give us a little sense of how many people are on your team, how many people are working at uh, the laboratory on this project in particular, and and how has it grown over the 30 years that you've uh, you've been working there? So right now, the laboratory employs about I mean, 7,000 uh, scientists, engineers, technicians for all of their projects, and about 1,000 of those uh, people, I mean, work on the National Ignition Facility, uh, both, I mean, to support operations, like the engineering, the sustainment, and do the, uh, the physics design, modeling, data analysis, uh, and uh, controls of the uh, facility. So over time, I mean, uh, over the duration of the project, I mean, the staffing started out at a few hundred people and went almost close to 2,000 people during the peak in construction. And so, I mean, over the years, I mean, it's literally been maybe 10,000 people that have worked on this problem, not only at the laboratory, at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, but also assisted laboratories, academics, <laughs> in order to, I mean, support the, uh, the science, the manufacturing, the uh, components uh, uh, and technology uh, and improvements in uh, optical components, improvements in electrical components that was required uh, for basically industry to help us put together, I mean, this laser system. And so I, I think it's, it, it's, it's been an, an uh, incredible i mean undertaking that has taken place over so many years across so many different industries mm -hmm. and laboratories uh, and it all shows i mean that i mean if you set your mind and you can keep you going you can solve any problem i mean but you just need to keep 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 going at it mm -hmm. and i think up to i mean several years ago i mean it, at some place, at some time, it wasn't looking all that great. We didn't have all the support again, but still, I mean, we kept going and believing in what we were doing. And I think we, we still now need to go, I mean, to the next steps in order to make a similar transition towards inertial fusion energy, which has a whole set of, I mean, incredible technological challenges. But, I mean, we need to have the same mindset and keep going at it. And, we will find the solutions to uh, create in inexpensive small targets at very high rates. I mean, to contain and fire those targets and extract the energy and to develop uh, very efficient, very reliable, I mean, laser drivers that can operate at a power plant type level. 
in order to make this a reality that we but we are ready i mean to support that and we are i mean ready i mean to provide the impetus for both industry and our future generation of scientists and engineers to keep working on this well uh, great work on this front uh an incredible breakthrough and uh, tremendous work by, as you said, thousands, if not over 10,000 people working on this project for decades. Uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, your host, and we'll be right back with uh, Bruno von Wertham, senior scientist at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories, talking to us about nuclear fusion. You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got uh, Bruno von Wartenheim, uh, senior scientist of Lawrence Livermore Laboratories on the program. Uh, Bruno is telling us about nuclear fusion and, and uh, the developments over the last uh, 50 plus years. And uh, I was just going to ask you, what do you see as the next step, given that this project probably has as much priority or should have more priority than the Manhattan Project, uh, where a nuclear weapon was created back in the 1940s, uh, certainly creating nuclear fusion power that is uh, that is uh, free from creating pollution seems to be uh, maybe the most important thing that our government and the world needs. What more resources should we be throwing at this problem in order to solve it? Because as you said, resources are certainly part of the equation that you need to uh, do the, the incredible uh, work you're doing uh, with the scientists uh, on the ground. Yeah. At this moment, yeah, we are at a perfect place in order to increase the momentum towards uh, fusion research and make sure that we can indeed develop it to be the tool that we need for the future of stockpiled stewardship and to uh, uh, make sure that we uh, can resolve some very uh, significant technological issues going forward to do for the life extension of nuclear weapons and to ensure future reliability and develop, I mean, a new generation of stockpile stewardships, uh, of stockpile stewards, as we need to attract more talent more scientific and engineering talent into this field mm -hmm. uh, for stockpile stewardship and to support the uh, lofty goals of inertial fusion energy, which we will need to attract, I mean, the best and brightest in this country. In a similar effort, I mean, to the Manhattan Project or the Apollo Project, and uh, definitely, I mean, the, the political support is there. The White House has made it very clear a statement about the bold decadal plan for the development of inertial fusion energy. So I think all the uh, all the, uh, the support, I mean, is there right now. And I think what our task right now is, is really attract, I mean, the next generation and make people interested in science and engineering and turn towards this field uh, to help us in the development of all these uh, different uh, technologies which will keep us at the at the forefront uh, we are currently i mean ahead of everyone else in the world I and mean, there are other efforts going on in europe there are efforts going on in russia and china 
but uh, we are clearly ahead and we need to I mean maintain that in order to maintain competitive and in order I mean to just make sure that uh, it, it, we keep ourselves at, at, at the forefront and nobody else I mean will walk it away from us but, uh, so I think uh, right now I mean our largest challenge is I mean to I mean basically replenish I mean our staff and grow our uh, uh, team of people that are working into this field and that will make it happen and I think it's uh, now an, an, uh, an incredible time I mean to make that swap and to provide that support and I think we've seen signs everywhere uh, that that will happen and I think it puts us in a real good uh, position and it will basically benefit I mean not only I mean the laboratories and the uh, the uh, deterrence because it, it really gives credibility to our teams and people will uh, take that as a very serious part of establishing a deterrence but also establishing I mean a, a credibility and a, a drive forward towards I mean making fusion energy I mean a real travel goal and start to drive towards developing a pilot plant and demonstrating the technology and challenging, uh, resolving the challenges uh, that will come along the way. So tell us, uh, what kind of cooperation or collaboration does uh, the Lawrence Livermore Labs have with, say, labs in Europe or labs in Russia? Obviously, we're having big challenges with Russia now and China, uh, who are kind of competitors at best uh, of ours, where where is this going? Are they going to copy what you're doing or is it uh, easy to replicate kind of the amazing science that you've uh, generated there at the lab? Yeah. Uh, so we have a uh, formal agreement with uh, uh, France and has a, a similar type of laser system, the laser Mega Joule in uh, Bordeaux mm -hmm. uh, that is not yet at the uh, level, I mean, of completion of the National Ignition Facility. We have been working with them, I mean, for the last few decades. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not have, I mean, collaborations or any agreements with uh, Russia or China, of course. And we know that they are building laser systems that are uh, similar, I mean, to the systems. Uh, that uh, we are using at the National Ignition Facility. So I'm sure that they are looking very closely at what we are doing, but uh, we are definitely, I mean, trying to stay well ahead. Uh, so what do you do? What uh, What is done to kind of keep these things secret? But obviously there's some publicity related to, to the breakthroughs that you've had. Uh, and some of the science kind of comes out at, at conventions or where you share your papers and findings uh, and how much of it is kind of kept uh, more secret so that uh, our, you know, people, countries like China and, and, uh, and Russia are not benefiting from the taxpayer dollars that we've spent to uh, do the work at Lawrence Livermore. Yeah. Yeah, so we are very, very careful about what information we release and what information we share and what information we keep to us or to our industrial partners. 
and information. I mean, that is critical in order to uh, make it actually work. Uh, both the country, Department of Energy, has have invested, I mean, a lot of resources into this project. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, we stay on top of that and we don't uh, hand it out. Sure. So uh, where do you see this going next? And uh, how how are you going about recruiting top scientists to uh, to take the lab to the next level? Of course, the uh, all the uh, recent, I mean, interest, the news interest, I mean, the articles, the press, then the scientific articles, lectures. I mean, we see us going to schools, giving talks. I mean, making people aware of what's going on, how they can participate, uh, allowing people. I mean, to conduct. I mean, experiments on the naval, allowing people to participate. And so there will be a very active effort that of course has been started i mean by the press mm -hmm. uh by i mean uh, you broadcast mm -hmm. by all advertisements to raise interest and raise awareness and hopefully that will be followed up by more active i mean interest of people and people joining the ranks and not only i mean at the laboratory but also at industry and in general i mean certainly get interest in science mm -hmm. and engineering in uh, in this country now do you see any of the private companies uh being able to switch technologies because you had said the private companies are using a different uh methodology of creating nuclear fusion do you see any of them shifting over to uh doing it the way you've done it the lab uh lawrence livermore or uh or do they have the resources necessary to create that type of uh, reaction. Yes. So that is now, I mean, being worked by a new group in the laboratory, and there are working, I mean, proposals with private companies for technology that is relevant, I mean, to inertial fusion energy, I mean, specific, I mean, or similar to the uh, technology that is being used in NIF. And so, yes. That is actually happening and we'll see that i mean even continue into the future as i mean people start to realize and start to invest more understand better about how this is going to go and so this is going to be i mean a, a wave that is going to propagate through industry through the energy industry and it'll take a little bit of time to settle in but uh, we have no doubt that uh, there will be an increased i mean uh, uh interest into inertial fusion energy uh, magnetic fusion energy i mean is has several large facilities going but i mean it's still quite a while away from a similar type of uh, demonstration well uh you've been listening to a climate change this is matt mattern your host i've had dr uh, bruno von wertenham on the program with the lawrence livermore laboratories a top scientist there who uh, they've been working on nuclear fusion. I greatly appreciate the work that you've been doing there and tremendous breakthroughs. And uh, thank you for being on the program with us. Thank you.